Although we've all faced the storm of COVID-19 together, it's important to recognize that we've all been in various boats. As stay-at-home moms, Brittany and I have just seen a lot more of our husbands and kids than we normally do. But for moms running their own businesses, talk about trying to keep an entire fleet of ships afloat. They say it takes two to tango. But what do you do when you have to tango six feet apart? This episode of Path and Posture, we have a very special treat. We're talking with one of the most influential Christian dance companies and schools in the nation. Since its founding in 2012, the 501c3 nonprofit has not only touched the lives of aspiring students in the Chicago area, but they have taken their mission on national tours, touching the lives of more than 20,000 people each performing season. Miss Juliana Slager, artistic director and co-founder of Ballet 58 is here now to share more with us about the company and how they've helped add hope to this season of survival. Hi, Juliana. Thank you so much for joining us. It's my pleasure. Thank you guys so much for having me on the podcast. Yeah. So, you know, we're just curious about the dance company. Tell us a little bit about uh, Ballet 5-8, where the name comes from, how you guys all got started. So it was founded by myself um, and Amy Sanderson, who is one of my dearest friends. Um, we actually danced professionally together pre-Ballet 5-8. And so we've been friends for a long time and kind of walking this dichotomy of what does it mean to be an artist and to be an artist from this impulse or impetus of our faith. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's something that we had been trying to think through on our own and corporately. Um, we actually both danced for Ballet Magnificat in Jackson, Mississippi, and that was where we met. Um, and then God called me to Chicago. I was actually engaged um, to, at the time, a very young and adorable uh, college student at Moody Bible Institute. And mm -hmm. my husband, Jeremy, was kind of finishing up his degree. And we were in that phase of kind of like, okay, well, we want to get married. So we need to bring our lives together. So that's why I ended up in Chicago. Um, and then Amy ended up coming with me really just an act of faith. Um, she was ready to move on from Ballet but she wasn't sure what her next steps were. And so I was like, hey, I need a roommate. Like I need somebody, you know, before I get married to live with and kind of um, finish out my engagement with another girl. And so she was like, yeah, totally. I'll come. I'll be your roommate. You know, we can um, just enjoy life in Chicago and see what God has for us there. Um, so that's how I got up to this area of the U.S. And then being here, um, I was just really impacted by the amount of artists that there are in the city and by the themes that they continually make work on. Um, so every artist has a worldview. And I feel very strongly that whether you think you do or not, you're putting your worldview into your art, right? So for myself as a Christian, I'm bringing that part of me into my art. But anybody who's making art is bringing kind of those deeper philosophical um, questions and thoughts from their own hearts and spirits into what they're creating. And so as I looked around the dance landscape, I just started to notice that there was not a lot of dialogue into terms of different perspectives and different ideas on how art could be made. So Amy and I just found um, this really, I think, tender place in our hearts to go, okay, how can we dialogue and kind of open up conversation of life and faith through dance? And how can we ask some of these questions and bring up um, our faith in God in a way that is not pushy and not proselytizing, but just in a really organic way um, that people will be able to dialogue with and hopefully um, see as a non-confrontational way to experience a little bit of what the Christian faith is. 
-hmm. So that's kind of the idea behind it. And we actually were sitting at a Starbucks on the corner of Dearborn and Division in Chicago. And we were like, okay, if we're going to start this company, and in our minds, this was like 10 years away. So we were like, okay, if we're going to start this company, it's got to have a name, but we didn't want to be like, you know, Redemption Ballet, you know, we didn't want it to be like super overt. Um, Mm -hmm. And so we were talking about, okay, what kind of a name would we want? Um, So we settled on a verse that we both love and the verse is from Romans, Romans 5, 8. You guys probably have heard it before, but it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Mm -hmm. And that was just the impulse for us at the beginning of saying, hey, God reached out to us first. And so we want to use dance in a way that's going to reach out to others. Um, They may not be looking for it. They may not be expecting it, but we want to demonstrate the love of God through this ballet company. Um, So that's where the name came from. And yeah, that was all back in 2012. And we started the company much quicker than we had ever imagined. You know, we kind of had this far off dream in our minds, but um, I'm trying to think, I think it was about January of 2012 that God really started putting it in our hearts to to go and to get started. Um, But ironically, I was eight months pregnant with my first son at this point. (laughs) And Perfect so I timing. Like, right, exactly. I was like, what do you mean, God? I'm like, I don't I don't think so. I don't think this is the right time, but God is just kind of brings things to your mind and doesn't let it go. And when it's of him, he kind of just keeps putting it out there. And he just confirmed so many times that this was the time to start. Um, so we did our first casting call March of 2012 and were incorporated as a nonprofit by May 2012. And then we had our first season beginning September of 2012. Wow. So it all came together very quickly. That's incredible. Um, so it's almost like you had twins in one year because you, you started your family, you had the birth of your family with your first son, and then you had the birth of your company. And so what, what was that like, a whirlwind of, of just seeing your career, your, your own company, 501c3 nonprofit take off, and then all of a sudden you had a family to balance as well? What did that look like for you? Yeah, I think there were just so many moments where I was like, what am I doing? You know, there's no way to like fit all of this in a 24 hour period. I felt like as many new moms do that there just was not enough hours to go around. Um, But at the same time, also being a young mom, you also feel like the nights are incredibly long. So it's a funny thing because you're up all night with a newborn and then all day running around trying to, you know, be this director and and start this company. So I think it was a good growing uh, curve for me in the sense that I had to learn to rely on other people and to ask for help and reach out and say, hey, like I need assistance with whatever it is, Um, whether it was childcare or whether it was practical aspects of starting the company. So I think it it grew me because I'm a pretty, like I'm a self-sufficient girl. I want to just do my own thing as best as I can. And, you know, I'm not great at asking for help. So that was a big push. Um, but I think I, I even see now, I guess how that continues to impact me because I know it's not me. Like, I know I can't do this on my own. I know it's gotta be God. It's gotta be the community around me. I have to lean into my husband and my supporters and my coworkers. And I think in that way, it's made me very humble. Cause I'm like, you know, this is really not about me and it, it would never have happened without these other people and without the Lord, certainly. Yeah. Eight years under your belt has, has gotten you to the point of, of knowing these things. And so I guess, how, how would you say over the past eight years, the biggest lessons that you've learned as a mom and as a, a, a business owner 
a nonprofit business owner, like what, what has really been profound to you just watching your students, watching your coworkers, watching your family grow? Um, it's almost a decade, eight years going by. That's a, that's a lot of time and a lot of learning. Yeah, you're so right about that. And I think for me, what I've really learned is that you have to savor the moments. Um, there's a part of me that's always thinking into the future and building the organization and, you know, long-term planning. But I think the thing that has been most special is when I can actually just slow down enough to take it all in. Yeah. Um, and so I've tried to really practice that with my kids and, you know, any mom will tell you, right. They grow up too fast. It's such a cliche, but it's so yeah. true. So <laughs> yeah. getting to savor, yeah, just those moments with them. And I think too, not being afraid to be a mom and to be a director all in one. Mm-hmm. I think at first I felt some pressure to separate the two and to like, mm-hmm. never have my kids in a rehearsal or like never have them around. And like, you know how kids are like chattering in the background of a meeting. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I definitely appreciate having childcare and, and being able to focus my brain at work and then at home, but I'm not afraid anymore to kind of bring them along and like, let them be a part of it and do life together as a family. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important for any working mom to feel that freedom that your kids and your calling do not have to be two separate things. That is all part of what God is doing in you. That's great. No, that's wonderful. And, you know, Brittany and I on this podcast, a lot of the time we talk about, um, you know, with path and posture, we're, we're talking about the different paths that God has us on and the posture of our heart or the posture of our mind as we're walking them. So we, we talk a lot about the same path that we're on, which is motherhood. So it's really great to get your perspective as a mom and also as a, a, a business owner or a, a dance company owner, director, and just to see what that looks like, because it's a perspective we've never never seen. <laughs> so it's, we appreciate your insight. Yes. Um, powerhouse women. We appreciate that. But, um, we do want to look also more at what makes your company unique. You were talking about the, the worldviews and, and, uh, ways that you try to incorporate every dancer from every background. Um, we've seen a lot with various ballet companies that they are really out to promote the history um, and just the performance of ballet. Uh, would you say that Ballet 5.8 also incorporates that, the uh, the history, the performance, the, the passion of the art itself? Yeah, that's such a great question. I definitely think so. Although I am famous for saying to the dancers, we're not in a museum. You know, this mm-hmm. is not a museum installment. We're here for the now. And so they always laugh at me when I say that, but I really believe that ballet has such an amazing relevance as an art form um, that transcends different times and cultures. And I believe that as a choreographer, part of my calling and job is to kind of update it to being something that makes sense for a 21st century audience. So just in terms of accessibility and all of that, I try to pay homage to the ancestors, if you will, of ballet. (laughs) <laughs> while also pushing it in a direction that is accessible and fun. And um, I think at one show, we had a little eight-year-old boy come up afterwards, and he went, you guys make ballet cool. That's Aww. wonderful. Right? <laughs> yeah, especially a boy. I know, right? Yeah. The biggest compliment. I'm like, exactly. Like, we don't want this to feel boring and stuffy. And, you know, like, you can't access it unless you have an art degree. Like, we want a little eight-year-old to be excited, enraptured, um, and just wanting to see more. And so I think as a Christian as well, you kind of become cliche if you are doing art by copying the mainstream artists that you like and then spinning a Christian label onto it. So I think for me, it's actually really important that we have a creative impulse that's not just our Christianity, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. Like we have to be creatives in and of ourselves. 
A- absolutely. I think it's revolutionary what you guys are doing. And after learning about some of your critically acclaimed ballets, such as The Space in Between and Scarlet Compass, your approach to dance and storytelling, it's, it's just remarkable. So um, talk to us about your success in combining the beauty of the arts with the messiness of life and just what that kind of looks like. So something that I like to think about when I'm making a ballet is to show both the grit and the grace of what we experience in our lives. Um, I think sometimes ballet can be very ethereal and very beautiful, which is fun to watch, but it feels a little bit out of touch with what we experience, right? Because our lives are not that perfect. They're not tied up with a pretty bow. It's not all tool and, you know, dainty ballerinas floating around, right? Life is made of difficult times. Um, But to show that that grit that we experience also gives way to grace. And so I try in each story that we tell, even though it may have a different um, take on the grit and the grace dynamic, I try to show the grit of sin and the difficulty that we all have as human beings dealing with less than perfect relationships and less than perfect people. But then on the flip side to see, but there's still grace in that. There's still grace in those moments. And there's a lot of beauty in that. Um, And ultimately, I try to lead the audience toward a place of hope where they can see that, hey, we all have a little bit of a mess inside of us, but there is still hope through that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Uh, Just the message that everyone needs to hear. And um, your sphere of influence, you're Chicago-based, but you you also have taken the company national. So tell us about the importance of that decision and uh, what that kind of looks like in the future for you guys. Um, That one was so interesting because I actually didn't expect us to tour the way that we have. So when we first founded the company, we just thought, oh, we're going to be in Chicago. You know, it's a big enough city. Like this is enough um, of an audience base, I guess. But then about two years into the company's history, we started having sponsors offer to bring us in different places. And it started out small. It was like Michigan or Indiana, you know, kind of more Midwest local. Mm Mm-hmm. But then over the years, it got bigger and it was like Colorado and New York City and New Mexico, Texas, you know, we just started getting all these invitations. Yeah. (laughs) And at some point I was like, you know, if there's a desire to see this art in other places, it's a lot easier in a way to bring the company to them, right? You can't fly, you know, 3000 people to Chicago to see us. So it's a very accessible way to be a company because we're able to go to the people rather than having them have to travel to watch us perform. Yeah, no, that's, that's wonderful. Um, and with your Chicago school, you serve about 400 students per dance season. Um, and so with that number, um, I mean, just tell us about what, what it takes to kind of get a, a ballet off the ground from, from start to finish. Um, and from, you know, just the thought of, of an idea of a dance to curtains drawn and taking a bow, getting all these dancers together. What, what's that process look like? So it's a little bit different in our school of the arts versus like the touring company. Okay. But just the cliff notes version is that for the school specifically, right with those 400 kids, Mm -hmm. I have to think of a storyline that's 
one age appropriate so that the kids are able to invest in it on their level, right? It's got to be something that usually has a little more whimsy and is a little bit more fairy tale-ish because that's the age that we're working with. Um, and then it's a huge collaboration of casting, you know, multiple, multiple classes to play the same part. And so we have, you know, three or four different casts of students playing different roles. And then we have our high level students that are like high school and early college age that will play the lead role and will get a chance to be kind of the main focal point of a story. So part of it is education and teaching the kids how to put on a show and how to learn choreography um, and how to present themselves well on stage and how to be an artist, which is so important. So I'm kind of walking them through that process every year. Mm -hmm. And then I'm also trying to curate the ballet so that for the audience, it's really professional and so that it doesn't feel like a recital, but parents can invite their friends or their neighbors and they're going to come and yes, see a bunch of cute kids, but also see a really professional production. Um, that's, you know, something you want to watch for two hours. Yes. So in that sense, yeah, there's a ton of flying pieces when we do ballets with the school, um, which we do twice a year, one at Christmas and one in the spring. Okay. And so those are just amazing. I love them because they're kind of just like a full on, you know, big, crazy production, all the kids, all the rehearsals, all the costumes, um, which is great. The touring company is a little bit smaller because the the adults that are in the company, there are, I'm trying to think, 19 in the company this year and then 10 trainees and six in our second company. Mm-hmm. So that's about 35 total. So for that, it's much more intimate. Putting that together, there's still a lot of pieces going. But what I like about that is that they have more experience, right? They're professionals, they're adults. Um, so you can kind of go deeper into the storyline and you can really craft something that um, is something you've never seen before. And so that's, I guess, my goal with them is to push the creative envelope, whereas the school, the goal is more education and inspiration. Yeah. No, I love that. You guys are covering all aspects of dance. That's wonderful. Um, And on a more personal level, uh, we've kind of touched on this a little bit. So a theme that's been popping up on our podcast a lot recently, and uh, one that we just are wondering how that's been for the dance company is COVID-19. Um, so these past months we've talked about how, how the virus has affected families, but with, uh, ballet five, eight, how has it affected dancing? How has it affected you guys? Yeah, such a good question. Um, it has been something that we've been kind of battling with for lack of a better word for the past six months, just in terms of trying to figure out what is the next thing to do. Um, because the way the art form is structured, it's very tactile. There's lots of touching. There's lots of big groups. Um, you know, the rehearsals, there's many people in one room closely packed. The performances obviously are in theater settings, which right now, um, at least in Illinois, they're not allowing, um, many people, if any, into theaters. And so it's been a big pivot for us. I think March was kind of like the glass floor shattering. And I think Mm. that's true for many of us. But the performing arts have been on hold kind of indefinitely. You've probably heard that Broadway is canceled through 2021. You know, New York City Ballet is not even doing a Nutcracker this year. Things like that that are just unheard of that haven't happened in 75, 80 years. So it's been Mm. quite traumatic, I think, um, as an industry as a whole. Mm -hmm. For us personally, two things that have really changed us. One is that because we're a small organization, and honestly, we have a lot of millennials that work at the organization, we've been able to pivot online very, very quickly. 
And I'm very grateful for that because as you know, a lot of times millennials are a little bit more tech savvy. And so Mm -hmm. our administrative team is on fire and they have pivoted so much of our work online and they did it, you know, within three or four days of being shut down. So back in March, when the shutdown happened, we actually filmed two of our full length ballets and had them totally filmed and edited and online within like a week and a half, which as you can, you know, probably guess that was no small feat. School of the Arts, we pivoted online to Zoom classes and also pre-recorded material. And we had over a hundred class videos within like three days. Wow. I've been very grateful for my team because I think they are are just in that demographic where they truly understand the power of the internet and how to wield that. So I mm-hmm. think for us that has been so valuable during this time. Um, certainly we've had our fair share of troubles as we've had to be shut down. We were shut down for three months here in Illinois, just couldn't even go into the studios. Yeah. And then we finally got back in early June and, you know, everything has to be done with a mask and socially distant, which totally makes sense considering the circumstance, but it has reformed the way that we work. You know, I've restructured a lot of things. We're making all new choreography because our old choreography has a lot of things where we're touching each other, which at this point, it's just not a safe decision for the dancers. So we're trying to keep everything spatially spread out, um, which of course impacts the way that you're creating dance. So for me, I feel like it's been a bit of a strange challenge, almost like a, like a thesis for like a master's degree. It's like, mm-hmm. how can I create ballets where we never touch each other? <laughs> <laughs> um, so when I think about it that way, it's just been a, a big creative challenge. And I always enjoy figuring out how time and space impact dance. And so this has been a big experiment for me. Um, and then the other thing is just going outdoors and actually I'm a little sunburnt. You can see, cause we had our first outdoor show this past weekend and I was like, so focused on the dancers. I didn't realize it. My back is like bright red. Oh, oh no. And it's funny. Cause in a theater, you're used to being able to control everything. You have, you know, total control over light, total control over sound, total control over temperature. Whereas outside, you know, mother nature is going to do her thing. And so you just have to be flexible. Mm-hmm. So the newest ballet that I made for the dancers is actually in sneakers. Oh, neat. Quite fun. I saw that. Yeah, I did see that. Uh, And it's so relatable. You know, people, especially with our kids right now, nobody's wearing shoes. And and so and so when you're, I was like, oh, sneakers, that's really cute. They, you know, because we we want to go places, and so shoes mean something going places. And and it's just, I thought that was really kind of cool. I was like, gosh, I haven't really had a pair of sneakers on in a very long time. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's so true. So yeah, it's been fun to see, okay, what can we do, I guess, instead of what can't we do? I keep trying to to pivot to that in my mind. And I tell my team all the time, I'm like, you have to fail fast. I'm like, that's the whole game right now. You've got to find out what's not working and pivot quickly. And if you can figure that out in whatever, you know, business you're working in, I think that's really the key to surviving COVID. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it sounds like your take on COVID is so, so positive that you're using it all as a, as a learning and a restructuring tool. That's incredible. And I mean, at some point, did anything get uncomfortable um, when it comes to you guys are, um, you know, you rely heavily on your faith. So you're walking this with God. And did you ever just come to God at one point and say, what is going on? We need your help. 
I can't do this. Yeah, absolutely. I think for me, April was a big low point. March mm-hmm. was like, okay, we need to get stuff done. And um, I don't know if you guys do the Enneagram, but I'm an Enneagram three. <laughs> well, that's totally Brittany. Brittany is I'm a Enneagram two. everything. I'm a two. I love Enneagram. Love it. Good why. It's just the best. So it is. three is like crazy busy. And so at first I was just full on in that mode of like get things done and pivot the school and pivot the company. And like, I don't want to send my dancers on layoff because like they're counting on these contracts. So I've got to raise these funds and I've got to call donors and you know, I'm just like going crazy trying to make sure that my people are taken care of. And so kind of once that died down towards the end of April, that's when it it really hit me, actually. It was like six weeks into the shutdown. And I was like, oh, my goodness, like, what are we going to do? And I kind of thought back to that early moment in the coffee shop we talked about earlier. Mm -hmm. And I said to God, I'm like, did you know back then that this was going to happen? Kind of like, why did you send me on this journey when this whole thing, you know, feels like a house of cards right now? It just feels like at any moment, right, the whole thing could just unravel. Um, And he was so faithful in that moment to just be like, you know what? I did know that. I did know that all those years ago and I sent you anyway. Mm -hmm. And that was such an encouragement to me of just like, yeah, you did know at that time where we were going to be. And this is not a surprise to you. It is to me, but you know, and I can trust in that. And I can trust that there's a way through this and that he's got a plan. And so that was a big turning point. And that's kind of the time where I started planning the outdoor shows. And like, he started giving me ideas for the next set of ballets and, Um, It's funny how surrender is so tied up um, with our actions. You know, if you're not surrendered, you kind of freeze because you're so afraid of what to do next. But once you surrender to God and you're just like, you know what, whether this thing, you know, goes gangbusters or whether it totally fails, I'm just surrendered to you in that whatever you want. I'm going to do it. Mm -hmm. That just kind of unlocked um, my ability to think creatively through the whole thing. And so I'm very grateful that the Lord has been faithful in that way because yeah, without that moment with him, I don't know, you know, if I would have had the strength to press on in those difficult days. Yeah. It sounds like he's really brought you to the point of maturity in your faith from, you know, the coffee shop when you're like, did you, did you know this was going to happen? He's like, yes, I knew it was going to happen, but I also knew what was going to happen to you over these past eight years. And your survival mode is surrender mode. And he knows that about you. And he walked you through the whole thing. And here you guys are killing it. So that is, that is awesome. Um, and when it comes to your community, your friendships, um, did they also help play a role in the, the survival mode, the surrender mode? Um, was Amy there with you praying the company through uh, just everything that was going on with COVID. Yeah, no, absolutely. Amy and then Lauren Diaz, who's our managing director now, the three of us are kind of constantly praying for each other. And we're the leadership, the executive leadership team for Ballet 58. Um, and we actually did a 24 hour like prayer and fasting chain with the dancers and the staff and just everybody in the organization really. And those moments have been so precious, you know, mm-hmm. as much as in a way you're like, I wish COVID would never have happened, but then we would not have seen our community come together in this same way. And just the way that I've seen everybody pull together and, and trust the Lord together and pivot, you know, through long, long days and short, short nights, just to see everybody move together in that way has made us a stronger team. 
And I know going into this fall season, it's so palpable to see how much everybody is pulling for this to be a success. Mm -hmm. Um, And we don't know what the future holds, right? If anything, March has taught us that in an instant, it can all be gone. So having Amy and Lauren and the dancers and the staff members really um, together and unified in their prayer, together and unified in their intention has been something um, to me that's nothing short of miraculous. You know, I've never seen anything like it. A group of people just so focused on doing what God wants and being a team. You guys have found blessings in in the middle of all this through your survival mode. Um, But in what ways do you think that by you guys powering through, you've brought an element of survival to the dancers that have been showing up to dance? How have you been blessing them through COVID? Because you found your blessings and, and you found your strength in each other as a company. But how is that reflected into the lives of your students? Have you had any feedback from them? Yeah, such a great question as well. Um, So this summer, we held our summer intensive, which was something we didn't know if that was going to happen or not. So in ballet, it's really common to have like a four or five week intense summer program where kids come and they dance all day long. And so the state of Illinois lifted the restrictions just enough for us to hold the summer intensive one week before it started. So it was, it was absolutely a miracle. Mm -hmm. I know. And the first day with the kids in the studio, even through their little masks, you could just see their eyes, you know, the smile (laughs) in their little eyes, they were thrilled. And it was just the most precious summer to be with them day in and day out, to look them in the eye and say, you know what guys, like we can trust God. He's bigger than COVID. We can keep pressing forward. And it was just such a beautiful time. I don't even know if I can fully explain it without, you know, getting emotional because the kids were just so thrilled to be there. And we could all say to each other, see, God still has a plan. He still has a plan. We're still here. You know, we're not shaken. We're not uh, crumbling. We're here and we can draw that strength from him. And just to be able to say that to these kids that have been through, you know, something I can't imagine having gone through this, right? At 11, 12, 13, 14, whatever age they are, at that age, I would have been just devastated having lost the things that they've lost, graduations and parties and, you know, all the end of the year stuff um, was totally canceled for them, right? My seniors in high school lost their final performance and they lost their graduation. And anyway, so I've just been so proud of them and the way that they're digging deep and learning to trust God um, in the midst of what has been a very disappointing season for them. Mm -hmm. No, that's wonderful. And, um, you know, when it comes to the dancers. Uh, on a on a personal note, for me, uh, Brittany and I, we we just had our kids enrolled in our fall season of dance just around the corner here. Yeah, it's a new studio, and they start tomorrow. They start tomorrow, um, and I, I feel like when it comes to four year olds and three year olds, which is the case for my kids, you know, they have so much confidence, so much imagination. They're ready to go. They feel like they're the best dancers in the world. But um, as an instructor. How have you been able to reach some of these students um, or, or just any student that's curious about dance who admit to being totally graceless, not really the best, and really kind of give them that inspiration and that advice to strive to be the best, to take on this challenge, to learn dance? Like, how, how do you how do you and to be vulnerable? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And I agree. I love the three and four year olds because they do just have that natural <laughs> freedom. You know, they're just free and they're just like dancing around the room and I kind of, in my mind, I feel like we're always trying to get back to that, you know, even as adults, it's like, we're always trying to get back to that beautiful place that those little ones just find so organic. 
organically um, when they're small. And I think with my older ones, what I encourage them is that, you know, we don't know who is going to end up someday maybe being a professional dancer, right? Nobody can gaze into the crystal ball, but if they love it and they want to pursue this art form, there are so many amazing things you can learn from it without being a professional dancer. So that's not really the reward. It's not really about like, who's going to make it and who's not, right? That's too much pressure and that's way too intense. It's more about let's come into the studio every day and let's try to go one inch further. You know, let's try to hold that balance a little longer. Let's try to remember that combination a little bit quicker. And in that way, we're fortifying our bodies and we're training our minds and whatever field of work you go into, all of those skills transfer. Mm -hmm. For me, that's so important is that they understand that. And I try to teach them too, to have boundaries with the art form. You know, that's something to me that's so important. Like ballet can't be your worth right? And the mirror is only allowed to tell you, hey, this is the correct position or it's not, right? It can't tell you your value. It can't tell you your worth. It can't tell you, you know, anything about your your beauty, right? None of that is, is healthy or useful. The mirror is just a tool and you have to set your boundaries with it. And so we talk about that and just how that plays into being a dancer. And now when you want to be vulnerable, um, that means that sometimes things are going to be messy. And in ballet, perfection is uh, esteemed as kind of this very important important trait but we always talk about perfection is something that we only achieve in heaven, right? There's no perfection this side of heaven. And so there's something truly beautiful about vulnerability because it gives us something that perfection can't. It gives us an honesty and just um, a boldness and a freedom that perfection can never bring. So I try from a young age just to instill those virtues just into an everyday ballet class so that they're just growing up with this in the back of their mind. And my prayer is that they'll just carry that with them wherever God takes them, that they'll be able to put that into practice. I love that. Um, then, Brittany, this is more your question. I've seen the account Ballet 58 uh, comment a couple of times on C.S. Lewis quote accounts or, or whatnot. We've, we've just met there. And um, I ended up following you guys through that. But going into that, are you a C.S. Lewis fan? And um, how has he inspired not just C.S. Lewis, I guess, if you, if you are, how has he inspired not just C.S. Lewis ballets, but other ballets? Because he's, I find your um, emotions that you put into your ballets uh, resonate with a lot of things that he said, like in Mere Christianity and stuff like that. Yeah, that's such a great question. And yes, I am a super fan of C.S. Lewis. I just adore. <laughs> yeah, I'm like such a nerd. I think I've read most all of his works. I haven't gotten to the Space Trilogy. That's like my last one to conquer. But I do. I love it. Honestly, probably his nonfiction has impacted me more, although I love his fiction, The Chronicles of Narnia, right? You can't can't not love The Chronicles of Narnia. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, yeah, I've been reading his work since I was in high school. And I think for me, C.S. Lewis did for literature, you know, what I hope to do on a small scale with dance. So that's what I'm always coming back to in my work as a choreographer is, okay, how do I bring some of the truth and some of the beauty and some of the true craftsmanship that he displays in his writing? How can I mirror that or, or bring that into what I'm doing as a dancer? And I think C.S. Lewis has such a profound way of making the very complex, very simple. And that's what I love about him. He distills things down that you just would never understand. And then he just says it in a word or in a sentence. And you're like, oh, yes, of course. Like, that makes total sense, you know? Oh, absolutely. 
Yeah. And that's where I go with dance too. I'm like, I want to have that profound level of philosophical insight, but in such an accessible way that people are able to understand it, that it's not just, I don't know, high art that's confusing and, you know, not, not easy to understand, but just something that people can resonate with and relate to. I think for me in an artist, that's one of the most important characteristics. And I think it shows real true craftsmanship to be able to make those complex ideas understandable and relatable. I think to, uh, going, making it relatable. I think what C.S. Lewis does is that he just makes things so human. And when I see, when I see what you're doing with, with ballet, like I am not a ballerina at all. I probably have three years of dance in me from like the age of two to five. (laughs) And, and so I do not relate at all. But when I see, you know, how you're promoting these ballets and what the meetings behind butterfly and mourning. And I hear, I hear Jack, I hear C.S. Lewis. And, and so it's just always been, I, I don't know if that, if that encourages you, but being somebody who on the outside completely of ballet, I do see what, you know, that level of philosophy and theology, that's just so much deeper than, um, than, than even dance itself. It's just, it, it does bring a lot of glory to God on another level that's beautiful. That's such a compliment. Thank you so much for that, Brittany. And so seeing that you guys have been successful with being relatable with, you know, the numbers of students that you've reached, the the, the 20,000 a season with your school and with the tour and with the performances, with this success, where are you guys hoping to take it in the future? What's, what's, what's coming for you guys? And, um, and what can we do to help? Oh man, that's such a great question too. Okay. So long-term, my hope is to create just a a hub and almost a fountain, if you will, for Christians in the arts where you can come in and be filled up, be trained, be given skills, and then sent back out. Um, Because I see so much beauty in what we're doing at Ballet 5.8, but it can only have a reach that's so far, if that makes sense. And I would love to see people that go through our training program or company, you know, move to, I don't know, California and start their own version of that so that this idea can spread. And so there can be more people who are really truly pursuing Christ with their craftsmanship and who are truly being excellent and who are bringing their faith-based ideas into what they're doing in dance. Um, So that's what I see for us long-term you know, the company itself, I would love to continue um, just to see it flourish and grow. Um, We have, like I said, 19 dancers this year and six second company and 10 trainees. But long term, I would love to be able to have a ballet company of size and scale, you know, to where we can do really large work, something like American Ballet Theater or Joffrey, where you have a sizable court of ballet and you're able to just tell works of big magnitude with the amount of people that you have. You're able to tell some really amazing stories. Um, I have a ballet in my head about Harriet Tubman. I have a ballet in my head called Man- Madman about the demon possessed man from the Gospels. You know, I have a million of these ideas. And so I guess I just see us growing into that and having enough people and funding to facilitate um, some of these big works. I have another C.S. Lewis one from the Till We Have Faces book. Yes, I just read that. I was actually going to ask you if you've developed anything about that, because that is, I mean, that book itself is the reason why he ended up writing The Four Loves. Um, oh, I didn't um, that. and That's so, cool. Yeah. And so like, <laughs> I'm on the outside of this. <laughs> I need to get into Lewis. <laughs> 
<laughs> so yeah, so I would, I mean, I would just love to know the process regarding that one because that has been my most recent one. So that one, especially with um, Until We Get Faces, she wears a veil. It was just a, a very interesting book to read during COVID because she covers her face. No, it's true. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think there's at least been some musing that his wife was somewhat involved in the writing of that. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. There's no way that he would have understood the the woman that Oriol is without Joy. <laughs> yeah, I would love to do a ballet about Joy and Jack and how they met and tie that into Till We Have Faces and show some of the inspiration behind their relationship and how that actually ties into the book. So that's definitely on the horizons. And I look forward to the day where some of those works uh, become a reality. I love that so much. I need to introduce you to um, the C.S. Lewis podcast, David and and Matt. They're really awesome guys, and they they bring people on all the time. So I'm going to make sure I get I pass your name to them. They would love to have you. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you. And uh, we really appreciate you being on Path and Posture with us. If anyone wants to learn more about Ballet Five Eight, how can they find you? Yeah, you can find us online at ballet five eight you can also find us on Instagram. It's just at Ballet58 or Facebook backslash Ballet58. And 58, it looks like the number 58. So it's two numbers. Okay. Um, but yeah, we would love to hear from anybody who's interested in supporting the company. We've got a lot of online shows this year due to COVID, which is pretty cool because people can see our work from anywhere in the world. So definitely check it out. Um, and hopefully sooner than later, we'll be back to touring to a theater near you. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Juliana. All the best to you guys and take care. Thank you so much, ladies. It's a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. When the world began shutting down due to COVID-19, people looked for inspiration. Stories of individuals who continue to find a way to dance, paint, play music on rooftops even during their isolated or socially distanced circumstances. It drew eyes from viewers all over the world. In the search for hope and reason to continue on, publications like The Four Loves from C.S. Lewis have helped to shed light. Lewis writes, Friendship is unnecessary, like philosophy, like art, like the universe itself, for God did not need to create. It has no survival value. Rather, it is one of those things which gives value to survival. As we continue to restructure our lives around what seems to be an unending pandemic, let us not forget that the goal in life is not just to survive, but to seek out and to embrace those things that add value to our survival. Things like dance with Ballet 5-8, after all. As author Vivian Green stated, life isn't about waiting for the storm to pass. It's about learning to dance in the rain. <laughs>